Welcome to this episode of the Loop Ventures Brain Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Clinton. On today's show, we have Jeff Hawkins. You might know Jeff from his first successes in bringing the smartphone to life. He founded Palm and Handspring years before the iPhone existed. Now Jeff's working on an even more ambitious project, to understand how the human brain works. That's the goal of his current company, Numenta. Numenta intends on using discoveries about how the brain works to create intelligent machines. Jeff also authored a book called On Intelligence, which we talk about in the episode, and I highly recommend you read it if you haven't already. I think it's one of the most insightful books on artificial intelligence, and he wrote it over 10 years ago. Don't worry, a new book is on the way. We talk about all of this and more on this episode. Without further ado, Jeff Hawkins. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks for speaking with us today. I'm happy to be here, Doug. So maybe to start, could you talk a little bit about what inspired you to study more about neuroscience and then connect that with the field of computer science? Yeah, well, it's interesting because I had studied electrical engineering in college and I had started my career in computer science. Very shortly afterwards, I fell in love with brains. I can't explain why. I know the events that led up to it, but I became aware that Understanding how the brain works was a basically completely unsolved problem. This is back around 1980. And I felt like, gosh, that's going to be such an exciting thing to work on. And it's something like an engineering problem. We have a system we're trying to understand how it works. And I felt it was one of the most important things that anyone could work on at this point in time in history. And I decided back then when I was in my 20s that I was going to spend the rest of my life working on this, even though that's not what I had studied in school. Makes sense. And so you've studied brain sciences now for a number of years. You've started a company that's been successful and, and you've moved on to the next phase, which is Numenta. Can you tell us a little bit about what is sort of the goal and vision in your mind for Numenta? Well, I have primarily a scientific goal and then we have a secondary goal. It's a bit unusual, but we're doing pure science here at a for-profit startup company, if you want to call it that. And so our scientific mission is to understand how the neocortex works in sufficient detail that it is testable in biology, and it's also something you could implement in software and hardware. So it's a understanding how the brain works. Our secondary goal is, I just happen to believe that when we build intelligent machines, we're going to want to know how brains work. <laughs> that is, knowledge about how the brain works will instruct us how to build intelligent machines. And so all along the way, it's always been a secondary goal of ours is to understand the brain well enough that we can build it, explore different ways it can be applied to different problems of society. And so Numenta has been around for 12 years now, I believe, if my yeah. facts are correct. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> Some might say that's a long time. Some might say that's a short time relative yeah. to the goal. But how far along are we in the progress to that goal? Well, let me just first address the issue of how long it's been. As I mentioned earlier, I've actually been pursuing this problem for over 30 years. And I started as a graduate student at Berkeley. And then I discovered that you really weren't able to work on brain theory as a scientist. Believe it or not, you were not able to do that in the 80s. It just wasn't considered an acceptable thing to do. You could study the brain, but not be a theorist. And so I actually went back in the computing industry for quite a few years, really to get myself in a position where I could go back into full-time in the brain science. 
everyone knew this who worked for me that I really want to be doing brain theory. So now we started the Mentor 12 years ago. Actually, before then, I started the Redwood Neuroscience Institute, and I ran that for three years. Uh, so I've been doing this full time now for about 15 years. It's a very challenging problem. It is not one that you can always progress rapidly. It's not like building a new product where you just say, okay, just let's work on it. It's a little bit unpredictable how the progress is made. So on the one hand, you could say, hey, it's been a long time. On the other hand, I think the progress we've made is fantastic. And many people didn't think it was possible at all. So I could say, no, we're doing really great. We're speeding things up tremendously. (laughs) And the progress has come in sort of a few tranches, if you will. And we had a huge discovery about seven years ago, which we've documented and And we just had another huge discovery about a year and a half ago. And right now, we are actually putting the pieces together into a very cohesive theory about how the neocortex works. And I think it's going to be a solved problem. I think some of our listeners might be familiar with companies in the artificial intelligence space like DeepMind, owned by Google, perhaps Vicarious, and maybe a few other names that are, you know, a little more public. How would you characterize what you're trying to build with Numenta versus the techniques that they're using? Well, there is an overlap between uh, some of the deep learning techniques were originally inspired by neuroscience concepts, which makes sense. And remember, our mission is really to first understand how the brain works. So if that's all I did, I'd be thrilled. But it turns out that the brain is a very complex organ, and it does things very differently than the way current artificial intelligent systems work. And it's a, an interesting question as well, does it matter? There's a lot of people who believe, like, I don't need to pay attention to the brains. It's just, you know, some implementation. But I don't believe that's true. And just right now, in fact, in the last month or so, we've seen a lot of leading researchers in AI who have come out saying, look, we're hitting a wall. There's limits to what we can do with the current techniques. Maybe it's time to start studying the brain. It's not like we have to replicate a brain, but the brain tells us what intelligence is. It's the only system we can all agree upon is intelligent. And it's clearly more flexible, and it learns faster, and it does so many more things than any AI system today. So I believe, and I know, in fact, I even know what some of these principles are, but we're going to have to adopt some of the principles that brains use to create truly general-purpose AI. Maybe that is a good chance for me to jump ahead to a question I had about the book that you wrote. Again, this might be 12 years ago now, if I have my timing correct. Yeah, something like that. And it feels like I read it about two years ago, and I thought it was probably written that year. (laughs) The predictions were so great. So anyone who hasn't read it yet really should. But in the book, one question I sort of had exiting the reading of it was how you define intelligence, which you just talked about, as we all agree that the brain is sort of an intelligent mechanism versus consciousness. What, what's oh, wow. the, the oh, breakdown all right. there? So defining intelligence is one interesting question. What is consciousness is really a separate question. Do you want me to handle both of those? Or? Let's do both. Yeah. Uh, let's just talk about what intelligence is. I think one of the problems we've suffered is that Historically, people thought of an AI system as like, well, it has to do something a human can do that we can't do today. And so you can always come up with some human task of driving a car or recognizing an image or doing this and doing that. And then if you build a system that does that, you might say it's intelligent. Uh, I think that's a false way of thinking about it. It leads you to specific engineering solutions that solve that problem but don't have general purpose properties, that don't have behavior, that aren't creative. And so I kind of flip it around. The way I've always thought about intelligence is there's a set of properties that intelligence systems exhibit. And you have to incorporate those properties. It doesn't matter what specific problem you're solving. 
it's the principles by which it works which are important. So an individual human or an other intelligent animal can solve lots of different problems. You know, humans are not defined by their ability to do any particular thing, but we have this sort of general purpose of machinery that allows us to do many, many things. And so the question is, what are the properties of intelligence that span all our activities? And we can measure an intelligent system whether it achieves those. So things such as, does it interact with the world? Is it learned quickly? Do you have to train it on millions of things? Does it generalize? Can it be applied learning in one domain to another domain? Those are the kind of things I'm talking about. And not about what it does specifically, what particular problem you're solving today. So I think we have to flip around what the definition of intelligence is from like, oh, it can play Go, or it can drive a car, or it can recognize dogs and cats. That's not a good definition. But that's what the one we've worked with historically. Now, if I can put that aside, we can talk about consciousness. That's a very, very different topic. And it's a very polarizing topic in both philosophy and brain science and AI and everybody. There's several different camps of it. I'll just tell you where I fit on this. I don't think consciousness is a big thing. That is, if you understand how brains work, you will understand what consciousness is and its properties, and it's not really mysterious. It's very interesting. There's some surprising things about it. But there's a series of thought experiments you can walk yourself through and say, you know, it's nothing mysterious. It's not metaphysical. It doesn't require something unexplainable. It's really a property of systems like a brain that have memory and can recall those memories and can make predictions about the future. And so you can have internal states about things you've done in the past and about imagining things in the future. These are all just neural states that a brain with certain capabilities like our brain has and certain memories can do. And it's not something mystical. Do you think this conception of consciousness that we all have as humans is sort of the root of the fright sometimes that people have about artificial intelligence systems, you know, becoming quote-unquote conscious? Uh, that's an interesting hypothesis. It's perhaps some of it's that way, but not everything. A lot of people who have fears about AI almost have the opposite fear, that uh, machines will be intelligent and won't be conscious, and therefore they'll do things which will harm us because they have no moral grounding, something like that. So other people perhaps do fear that a machine might be conscious, but usually the issue of people worrying about the threat of intelligent machines is not usually grounded in that language of consciousness. It's usually grounded in the language of machines that are out of control or intelligence explosions or something else. Maybe underlying in their back of their mind, they're worrying about it's a conscious machine and it's going to do something, I don't know. But that's not usually how the problem is expressed. And maybe last thought on consciousness is, is it fair to say that consciousness requires intelligence, but intelligence doesn't necessarily uh, lead to consciousness? I wouldn't say it that way. I think to be an intelligent system, a uh, brain, like you and I, you can think of your brain as sort of like a memory organ. It remembers your past experiences in a way that you can apply them to future problems. So I'm holding a microphone in my hand right now. I have never used this particular microphone, but I knew that it had an on-off switch. And I know certain things about it. So I've applied prior knowledge to this particular situation. So it's all about memory and applying memory to novel and future situations. I believe that is the essence of consciousness, that you couldn't be intelligent if you didn't have that memory and be able to recall things. And it's that recalling that makes you conscious. You can sit there and go, wow, I remember what I ate for lunch today. Or, gosh, I remember what I did. And I can imagine what might happen tomorrow. And these kind of things. And we associate, that's one of the things we associate with consciousness. There's another side of consciousness, which people fret over a lot, which is just the idea that how it is that I perceive anything. 
And I just find that not a fruitful discussion. That makes sense. I'm curious for you to share your thoughts on the idea of AI being the sort of existential threat. It's been a pretty hot topic in the media with Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg. And I think I've read a few different takes you've had on it that seemed a little bit different to how they've characterized it. Yeah. The people who have been most worried about this and raising alarms are people who actually don't know much about brains. They may be very intelligent people in other fields, but they really don't know much about brains. And so they imagine things that are just not possible or can't happen. I'll just give you this one example. I mentioned it earlier, this thing called the intelligent explosion, that somehow there's some magic formula, and when you figure out what the brain does by this magic formula, you flip a switch, and then instantly it knows everything. This is nonsense. If you know something about brains, brains are all about learning. So a human, you and I, can learn almost anything, but it takes time. We have to expose, we have to interact with the world to learn things. So you can't instantaneously learn everything there is in the world about the universe. Nothing could ever instantaneously learn the laws of physics. You'd have to do experiments and so on. So there's very fundamental concepts like the intelligence explosion, which are literally impossible. And people don't know that because they don't really understand how brains work. I don't think there's any sort of existential risk to intelligent machines. None. They can be used for bad things like anything else. The one area I do agree is that you could basically weaponize intelligent machines, combine ability to destroy people and things with intelligence, and that's probably something we've already been going down the path on. It may not be a good idea, and you know, maybe we should think about that. Not because it's an existential threat, like it's going to wipe out humanity, but more like do we want to keep building really bad weapons? And intelligent machines will lead to disruption in jobs and, and employment, and I agree with that. That's an issue that has to be dealt with. But I don't subscribe to any of the scenarios that say it's an existential threat, like it will wipe out humanity for this reason or that reason or that reason. All the arguments for that, I think, are wrong, and they're based on not really understanding what intelligence is. Maybe on the topic of understanding intelligence, back to your book, which we said is over 10 years now since you've written it. I'd love to know what you've learned now that you've worked on this problem for 10 years from the book to today. Well, in the book, I had a couple of goals. One was to propose a framework for thinking about how the brain or the neocortex works. And the neocortex is 75% of the volume of a human brain. So it's what we think about as intelligence. It's a big wrinkly thing you see in pictures. And I propose in On Intelligence that the way to figure out how the neocortex works is to think of it as a memory system that makes predictions about the future. It's constantly making predictions, and you're, you're not even aware of most of these predictions. You're just every time you touch something or see something or hear something, you're predicting. Listeners who are listening to this right now, well, their brain is constantly trying to predict what I might say next or what the next word would be. And they're not aware of this. So the brain does this. And so I propose that as a framework. What we've done since then is we've actually figured out the detailed mechanism for how lots of that works, how the brain makes predictions about the future, what it means for neurons to make predictions, how does that manifest itself in the brain, what are the actual detailed neural mechanisms going on in the neocortex which do this, and we've been filling in these pieces. So uh, I've started another book. Don't ask me when it's going to be done, but I've started it, and it's sort of a follow-on on intelligence, and it's going to lay out in as much in layman's terms as I can what we've learned about exactly how your brain and my brain builds a model of the world and makes predictions about the future. And it's fascinating, but we're filling in the details. We're in an intelligence. I didn't have any of the details. I had the framework. 
It's a great update. We're excited to read the next book whenever that happens. <laughs> I'm working on it, dog. <laughs> as fast as possible. Yeah, it takes, yeah if you've ever written a book, it takes time. It's not it something does. you can do quickly. Absolutely. If you think about Numenta and the concept of mapping the human brain, recreating the human brain, it's a massive research project. And I think a lot of other bigger companies have AI, you know, call them research labs. How do you translate research into a saleable product. I'm a VC. I have to ask, you know, of yeah. course, the business question. Well, we've done a couple of things along those lines already. So we took some of the breakthroughs we had about seven years ago, and we said, let's see if we can apply them to real-world problems. So we spent a fair amount of time and effort building products based on the literal neural models that we create up. These are very different type of neural, artificial neural networks than you find anywhere else. These are true brain-like neural models. We have an open source community where we put all this code and documentation, and it's very active. And people have applied it to lots of problems. We have a couple of licensees who have products built on this. And those products are mostly about detecting anomalies in streaming data. So we did a lot of work in this field where you're taking sensor data off of machines continuously and trying to understand, has that machine changed? Is it sick? Is there something different about it? And it's a learning system, so we do make no assumptions about what the machine's supposed to be, but it observes these variables or these metrics coming off machines, whether they're servers or windmills, and tries to model that data. So we did that, and we have a few licensees working in that area. We decided as a company not to become a product company, at least at that point in time, and we wanted to go back to the research. So now we have made a big advance, what you might consider robotics, or the technical term is sensory motor integration, how it is we perceive the world through movement. So when you perceive the world, you're moving your eyes, you're moving your body, you're moving your hands constantly. That's how we actually learn about most of the things in the world. We've discovered some of the core principles about how that works, and that too could be applied to real world problems. We haven't done that yet, but it will happen. As a business, Nementa as a business, which is an unusual business, we have a quite large patent portfolio. We have over 40 issued patents, all about related to machine intelligence and brain theory. Many of these patents, I believe, are going to be extremely valuable in the future. We're a little bit ahead of where the market is right now. We have just recently started getting lots of inquiries about them. People are starting to realize, hey, maybe these other principles that the brain uses are important. And oh my gosh, look, Nementa has this huge intellectual property base and they understand this stuff very well. So we've been starting to get more inquiries from that. From a VC, an investor's point of view, right at the moment we're sort of an intellectual property play and I won't go into details exactly how that's gonna play out, but that allows us to keep our focus on the science building this intellectual property, ultimately that'll be turned into products. It's a little bit like maybe what Qualcomm did when they first started. They built this intellectual property based about CDMA before they had anybody building products. But Erwin Jacobs bet that he was right about that, and he turned out to be right. I think we're doing something a little bit similar to that. Can you envision a scenario in, say, 10 or maybe 15 years where the majority of large companies use Numenta's IP in some way to enhance their business, to make their business more intelligent? Yes. What I'm comfortable saying is the following, that the principles we've discovered about brain theory are going to be core and essential to the future of AI. And that I'm absolutely certain about. So how that plays out is a little tricky to understand. It's not clear. Is it going to be a public technology that ever gets used? Is it going to be owned by some people who are dominating the field? I don't really know. How it manifests itself in the corporate products, it's hard to say. But if you believe in the future of intelligent machines, in general intelligent machines, then 
the technology we're developing today is going to be a key and essential component of it. I'm very confident in saying that. So the short answer to your question is yes, I see it's going to be a lot of places, whether how it'll get there and who's going to own it and what paths to get there is a little bit hard to say. Right. Well, we believe in the same future, so we're excited for it. Jeff, just to finish up, maybe just three rapid fire questions. The first one is, if you were a student entering college today, what would you study and why? Assuming that the student is somehow interested in AI. Yes. (laughs) If you're you're a poetry major, I don't have much to say. (laughs) I would say you need two things. You definitely need to have a good computer science background, the ability to program, and it would be helpful to have some neuroscience background. Not to be super deep, but a good overview. And you also need machine learning experience. So maybe those three things, if you separate machine learning from computer science, you have some programming skills, machine learning concepts, and neuroscience concepts. Don't need to go too, too deep in any one of those three areas because it's really the mixture of them that is the area where you are going to be most fruitful. That makes sense. Second one, really putting you on the spot here. What year does Numenta achieve its goal of sort of recreating the brain? Our goal is to understand the brain, all right, which is not the same as recreating it because it may take quite a few years to actually build something equivalent to a human, even if we understand how it works, because the amount of computing power and memory is massive. Let me stick to the first one, which is how many years it is before we understand it. It's like many things. There's not a point where you can say, done. There's a point where you might say, mostly done, this is over the hump, definitely we got the big picture. That is actually pretty close. I feel myself, I am there already. That has not been communicated to a lot of people where these papers take time to get out there. I would say definitely within five years, maybe as short as two or three, that the general principles about how the brain works will be understood by many people. That doesn't mean there isn't a lot of detail to be filled in. There will be, but it'd be more like, Got it. There's some things we didn't understand. Now we understand them. I get the big picture. You might be surprised how short that is, but I'm speaking not from like an optimistic person. I'm speaking from things I already know. So it's really a matter of communicating what things we've already discovered. How long it takes to build a brain or build machines is as capable as a brain. That is a technology question and has to do with semiconductors and has to do with software and has to do with architectures. I don't want to venture a guess on that. It's fair. I'm sitting here with a big smile on my face because the first answer was much sooner than I expected, at least for understanding the brain. Yeah, well, so that's good I'm news. happy too. Yeah. I'm happy because we have really made significant progress. It's an exciting time here. It's great. Okay, last rapid fire question. Aside from On Intelligence and your next book, what book would you recommend all of our listeners read relative ah, to neuroscience? This would be a book a non neuroscientist could read, I assume. Ah, that's a really tough question. I mean, there's lots of books I find fascinating and interesting, but if you really wanted to learn the details of how this works, there are some books in the neuroscience field I could recommend, but they're neuroscience books. Uh, You know, one of my favorite authors is Vernon Mountcastle, and he wrote a book called The Neocortex, and it's a beautiful book physically. Uh, It's beautifully written, and it's a great introduction to issues of the neocortex. But that's pretty deep. You know, the problem right now is there isn't much good stuff to read. I wrote on intelligence because I also felt there wasn't much good to read back then either. I felt like there was a hole for people wanting to learn about brains, yet 
something tangible and meaty and correct and that was really grounded in neuroscience but that was approachable and I didn't feel there was something like that at the time and so I got a good reception on this intelligence I feel that's existing today and that's why I'm writing another book I would suggest if people are really interested they can read some of the mentis scientific papers plus the one we just had published which is a key to the whole neocortex. You can find it on our website. We also have sort of high-level descriptions of them. So we have some talks online and some videos that try to explain this stuff in a, a more lay term, but it's not a book form. Sure. Well, we'll link to those talks and those papers in the show notes, and we will also anxiously await your next book oh, as well. thank you. Uh, and Jeff, that's all we have. All Jeff right, it's Nenta. great. It's, it's fun you. talking to you, and I'm glad you're interested in this topic. Excellent. Thank you so much. 